ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome into the Golf Channel Podcast. I'm your host, Will Gray. Please be joined this week by... FedEx Cup champion, Ryder Cup veteran, but more importantly right now, a diehard Nashville Predators fan, Brant Snedeker, on the phone with us. Brant, thanks for taking some time. Yeah, no problem. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, so as we said, it's, uh, it's golf season right now, but for you, it is also hockey season. You have been uh, a big proponent of the Nashville Predators all the way through their run to the Stanley Cup Finals. I know you were in Pittsburgh for Game 2 when the Preds unfortunately lost. They're down 2-0 as we tape this on the eve of Game 3. You're going to be going to Game 3 and 4 in Nashville, but, but what has this ride been like as a fan for you of another sport to watch these guys succeed? Well, it's been great. You know, it's, been, it's been so much fun to see the city of Nashville get behind the team like, like everybody here has, the Predators. You know, the Predators have been here for over 20 years. They're kind of our, our hockey team. Um, and to see the success, they've been good for quite a few years now. But to see the success they've had in the playoffs this year, the way the city's kind of rallied around them, and uh, it's been fun to be a part of. You know, the arena's been unbelievable. I've been in quite a few games during the postseason. See it at each at each uh, uh, round get hot. I mean, louder and more crazy, and and, and people um, coming downtown just to hang out outside the arena to watch these games. It's been fun to be a part of, and it gets you kind of excited about um, what Nashville's doing as a city and what the Nashville Predators are doing as a team. So I uh, can't wait for Game Three tomorrow night. It's gonna be, be a crazy atmosphere, and uh, you know, everybody in Nashville's been kind of jump on the bandwagon and having fun with watching these, um, this team play as, as well as they have. Well, as we said, you're a Nashville guy, went to Vanderbilt, which we'll get to in a little bit. But for those, the uninitiated and those unfamiliar with the city itself, just how big of a deal has this become for the city of Nashville, considering, you know, it's been about 20 years since the Titans made their Super Bowl. This has been a, a big moment in sports time for uh, the city, correct? Yeah, you've got to realize we, we, we have a bunch of sports-crazy people here in this town. You know, obviously Tennessee Vols have been huge forever. Um, I grew up a Vanderbilt fan. Um, you, you can see it with Vanderbilt baseball when they won a national championship a couple of years ago. Um, you know, we were – there were people standing outside waiting, you know, scalp tickets trying to get to watch Vanderbilt play regional baseball games. So um, this city is a, is a huge – has a huge fan base for sports. And, you know, the Preds have been – um, unbelievable turnout in the last four or five years, but to have this run the Stanley Cup Finals on a team that, you know, at the beginning of the year everybody picked to be there, and throughout, you know, through injuries and, and other issues throughout the course of the year, we, we kind of had a, a mediocre year for them, barely make it to the playoffs and make this kind of Cinderella run of the Stanley Cup. It's been unbelievable. It's kind of brought everybody out of the woodwork and and really um, energized the city to get behind a, a bunch of great guys who handle do stuff the right way, who kind of play the way Nashvilleians like their sports team play tough hockey and and play the right way. So it's been fun to watch them and, and, and see them be as successful as they have. And um, Nashville's really, really grown a lot in the last 20 years since the Preds got here. And all these new influx of people have, have kind of taken the Predators under their wings. They haven't been around. A lot of people that live here now weren't around when the 
Titans were really relevant and going to playoffs every year and going to Super Bowl. So this is their first taste of real, you know, premier sporty events at its finest. And uh, hockey fans, as you know, are crazy. So it's fun to see that atmosphere kind of build up in Bridgestone Arena to where now, you know, they're talking about, two, you know, $1,500 wanting to get to the front door tomorrow night for the game. So uh, for, the, for a nosebleed seat. So it's just crazy to see all these people uh, get all in on the Predators. Game three, Saturday night, 8 o'clock Eastern on NBC Sports. You're going to be there. Now, one of the things that I've really enjoyed uh, as I've gotten to, to follow the Preds over the last couple months is the national anthem singer. You guys have had pretty much everyone in the who's who line of country music has come in to sing the national anthem, so I'll put you on the spot. Do you have any inside info who we can expect game three to be doing the anthem at Bridgestone Arena? I have, you know, it's funny is I have no inside info. Um, I've got a feeling it's going to be three pretty uh, – the next two games are going to be pretty impressive. Um, when it comes to their storied history of what they are in the, in, in the world of music. It's just tough this time of year because this is touring time for a lot of the country music stars right. that, that live here in Nashville. So they're all – a lot of these guys are, are guys and girls are on the road performing and doing other stuff. And what people outside Nashville heart, have, don't realize is that most of these artists never perform in Nashville. It's just there, there's no market for it. We see it all the time. So they perform way everywhere else outside of Nashville. So for us to see them here – they live here full-time, but they really perform. So it's always a, kind of a double bonus for us to see them in town playing and doing something like the National Anthem. So it's, I don't know who's going to be. Um, I've got a feeling Dirk Stanley might be one of them. He hasn't done one yet. He's a big he's a big, big Preds fan. I don't know. If, I think he's touring right now, so I, I doubt he'll do it tomorrow night. Um, wouldn't be surprised if I saw Tim McGraw I'll do it either, but I think likewise he's touring. So um, be interested to see who they pull out. But I, I know they're all watching. If they're not there singing, they're all watching. So it's fun to have a, this whole town kind of behind it the way they are. Well, Carrie Underwood uh, got things started. She sung the, the national anthem for the first home game against the Blackhawks. And for those that are unfamiliar, she's married to Predators captain Mike Fisher. But I saw on Twitter, did you pledge some money to charity if you can get Carrie Underwood to throw a catfish on the ice? Is that uh, accurate? We did, yes. We got something going for uh, Game 2 in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think we got up to over $100,000 for charity of her choice if she were to put, go down and actually throw a catfish on the ice. One, would have been unbelievable to see her do it. Two, like we thought there was no way they'd ever arrest Carrie Underwood. So uh, <laughs> it'd, be a, it'd be a harmless crime. But uh, she, she probably wisely didn't do it, didn't want to be a distraction to, to, to you know, her husband and the team. But um, I thought about taking one myself. I, I, I thought better against it. But, you know, the catfish, the rally catfish is kind of taken over here in Nashville. We started doing it in 2003 um, when we played Detroit for the first time uh, in the playoffs. And they were notorious for throwing octopi on the ice during the game. Um, so uh, the redneck version of that here in Tennessee is to throw a cat, catfish on the ice. So uh, we've kind of made it our own. It's kind of a, a tradition we have here at home ice. It's, uh, it's unique for sure. Listen, I grew up, when I was a kid in South Florida, when the Panthers went to the Stanley Cup Finals, we were throwing rats on the ice, uh, not, yeah. not live, but whatever. Uh, catfish, you're definitely stepping up the game, so we shall see. <laughs> and I saw you had, you had your, your kids fishing for catfish, right, this, this week? I did, yeah. You know, we, we, my kids love fishing, so I, I, I had thrown uh, out fishing that day. I thought it would be funny to put it on Twitter and say I was going to take it up there to, <laughs> to, to Pittsburgh with me to put it on the ice, but uh, didn't do it, should have done it. Obviously, we lost the game. May, 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 I, I take somewhat of the blame on that one, but uh, – yeah, my kids love fishing, getting outdoors, and so that's something we love to do as a family. Last one, and then we'll we'll switch subjects. But uh, I, I'll again put you on the spot. Down 2-0, going back home. Do you put Pecorine back in net if you're uh, Coach Peter Laviolette? Yes. Yeah, okay. I, I think you've got to go um, with the guy who got you here. You know, he's done so much for this whole series, uh, this whole season. Um, he almost single-handedly beat Chicago, um, going, you know, only giving up I think three goals the whole series. 
Um, Pekka is, you know, he's been here for such a long time. He's such a backbone of our team. I think all the guys in front of him believe in him. I think they're going to give everything they possibly can to make sure that he has a great game tonight or tomorrow night. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a different he's a different goaltender at home. They're a different team at home. You know, I, I challenged everybody to tune in to watch to see what home ice advantage looks like because I want not to, not to post shade at Pittsburgh and their <laughs> arena, but um, up there Tuesday night or yeah, uh, Wednesday night for the game, and it, it was not nearly as loud as we get in Nashville. Uh, fans were leaving midway through the third when they were up 3-1, and that would never happen in Nashville. Now, they're a little spoiled because they win all the time up there. They're <laughs> used to having the Stanley Cup playoffs there every year, and this is our first time, so that's probably why we're so jacked up. But the, uh, the home ice advantage that we have is just unbelievable here right now. Well, it has certainly been uh, a fun sports uh, moment that, that we've been able to watch unfold with the Predators and the city of Nashville, as we said. Game three, Saturday night, 8 Eastern on NBC Sports. Now, I want to shift a little bit. As we said, you're, you're a Vandy guy, and this past week was the NCAA uh, Men's Golf Championship on Golf Channel. You saw your Commodores get the top seed in stroke play. They went out to Oregon in the semifinals, but i got to ask your reaction. What was that like? You even tweeted, I believe, you said you're more nervous watching Vanderbilt play on TV than when you're inside the ropes on the PGA Tour. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's way more nerve-wracking to watch because you have no control over it. And, and I've got to know all those kids on the team really well. Scott Limbaugh, the coach, and I are good buddies. So I, I'm always out there either play, you know, practicing with them, messing around with those guys, talking to them. So when I saw them get, you know, play, I knew they had a, the kind of team to go win a national championship. They've got five guys that can win a golf tournament on their own let alone um, five guys, you know, they could win a national term, uh, the national championship of the team. So um, I was really excited for them. I thought they would have a great chance, they, and they did. They, they played fantastic. You know, I, I selfishly, I'm not a huge fan of match play, deciding which is the best team in the country just because I feel like you downplay the importance of having um, stars. You know, if you have a guy who's the best player in the country can shoot 14 under par for three days, a huge advantage for your team and and in match play it's only one 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 point and, and i don't think that is the right way to determine the best team um um in in the in the ncaa's especially when the whole year you're playing a format of stroke play and all of a sudden based on the year you're playing match play so um not a fan of that but the guys played unbelievable they won stroke play played great against um um sorry i'm blanking here uh, but we lost uh, oregon. oregon in yeah. the semifinals he played great came in the last match and matthias who's been an unbelievable player for us for, for four years, been a two-time first-team All-American. He's, he's making his pro debut this week over in Europe. Um, you know, just unfortunately, it was a little bit off and ended up losing the match. And, and those guys were devastated over it. They, they felt like they had enough to win the national championship this year. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. But it was fun to watch them kind of grow the team this year. Had a bunch of different guys step up for them. Um, and a lot of these guys are going to play professionally. They, they, they've got a lot of talent on that team. And it's, and it's fun to be a Apart, watch this coach kind of turn the program into something where it's turned into a national power now. We're a year in, year out. These guys have a legitimate chance of winning it all. Well, this is interesting, though. I want to go back to this, this match play, stroke play thing, because it was stroke play when you were playing at Vanderbilt, switched for the men's format in 2009. And it should be noted, if it was just stroke play, Vanderbilt would have won, I believe, by 12 shots. But from, from a television network, selfishly perspective, match play tends to create the drama and, and makes it a little bit more interesting and, and gets more teams feeling like they have a shot to win. But you feel like you should play it out, especially if you play all year during stroke play, that should be the way you determine a national championship? Yeah, totally. I, mean, I totally get why they made a switch. It's definitely more drama-filled um, for TV. But um, looking at it from the golfer side, like I, I, I can only think of the whole point of having an NCAA championship is, is to define who the best team in the country is, not mm -hmm. for who the most drama-filled tournament is time, time of year. You know, I know this is – 
I equate it differently than the NCAA basketball tournament, which I love. You know, I think it's great. But I also see guys saying the same thing there, where you're not defining the best team. You're finding who's the hottest at that moment or, or whatever. I just feel like in golf, match play, the greatness of one player or two players or three players can be downplayed by only being a point, meaning a point to the team. Um, you know, if you have an unbelievable player like Tiger, let's just say you use Tiger Woods back in his heyday at Stanford, and he's playing match play. He's only one point, one third of the way to win a golf, to win a match. Whereas if he's playing stroke play and he wins by 15 strokes, that can carry a team to a national championship. So um, just feel like those kind of players um, can really help a team get to a certain point. And if you have three guys that can do that on their own, or two guys that can do that on their own, they might be able to make up for a deficiency back on your roster um, in, in, in a five match deal. So that's just my personal opinion. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong. I just feel like when you've got five guys that can win a golf tournament on their own. And that being said, they should have, you know, Vanderbilt could have easily won that, that fifth match and, and been won a national championship, and I probably wouldn't be that spoken about it. But just felt like to define the best turn, best team all year long to, at the NCAAs and completely change the format on them and play something they don't play all year does not seem like the right way for me to, to find a national champion. Listen, when you've been in the arena, as you have, you are more than entitled <laughs> to an opinion on it. Uh, I guess one other thing is just from, from your perspective, having been through college golf, what's it like for you now to see it kind of elevated in, uh, in the national landscape and having a couple of days both for the men's and the women's to see this national title play out on television, and, and albeit in a different format. But uh, does it harken you back to your days when you were, when you were playing for the Commodores? It, uh, yeah, I think it's great. You know, I think it's fun to watch you know, the way these, these kids handle pressure. Um, you know, I think they're far more advanced than maybe I was at, you know, 15 years ago when I was coming out. Um, watching the, the shots these, these players hit under pressure, you know, when their team's watching them, the whole world's watching, to see some of these putts their hole and shots they were hit. It was really, really, really fun for me. It kind of took me back to, to my days when I was playing and realized what a special experience that was to have a great coach that, that cared about you and, and really tried to push you to, to, to reach your dreams, to have four of the guys in the same band with you, you know, going through um, what, you know, the same trials and tribulations together, trying to balance school life and wanting to be a golfer and, and being in that room together. So it's such a special memory for me and a great couple of years of my life. So I, I, I kind of look back with, with envy at these kids right now going through what they're going through because you'll never have that time again in your life where you really don't have that much responsibility. You're just there to play golf and go to school, and you've got four teammates or seven other teammates in the same fire with you. You know, you build friendships for life. You build bonds for life, and it's a great way to kind of, you know, showcase what, how special that is, especially, you know, with Golf Channel's involvement now and being on TV. It's really, it's really, really cool to watch that. You're preaching to the choir on the value of a college experience. I would, I would go back <laughs> in an instant, and I wasn't even on the team. But uh, yeah. all right, so I want to I shift uh, once more here. We're officially in the month of June, which means the U.S. Open is around the corner. Kind of uncharted territory this year with Aaron Hill. So I guess my first question is, have you been up to see the course yet? I have not. No, I'll be going up a little early. Um, <laughs> I typically uh, try to play Memphis the week before to get, get some good reps in, but because of the new venue, um, the way the schedule worked out this year for me, I'm going to go up there probably Saturday before, play Saturday, Sunday, um, get a couple extra rounds in beforehand, and, and then see the golf course kind of shakes out from there. From everything I've read about it and seen about it, um, you know, it's going to be kind of an un, untraditional um, U.S. Open link style. Or is a really good venue. They had a U.S. Amateur there a few years ago. Um, so it's going to be a little bit different than, than, than um, U.S. Open. Most people are, are typical seeing on TV. So it'll be interesting to see how, how it shakes out. Um, I think everybody's kind of excited to get there and see what it looks like. But, uh, you know, it's going to be something new for all of us out here. 
It's definitely new. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm excited to get up there myself. But this is, you know, it, it draws parallels to two years ago at Chambers Bay, which was another new venue. You played well there, finished in the top ten. So take me through your, your strategy in terms of when you have a major championship at a brand-new venue, how do you prepare differently than maybe a place like Oakmont or Wingfoot that you've seen maybe seven, eight, nine years before? The biggest thing is getting used to um, lines off tees. Uh, the grass is how they're going to play. Um, so you try to play as many practice rounds as you can with three, you know, two or three other people. So you can see different shots off tees, different lines on balls landing. So you have an idea of, okay, okay this is kind of where the fairways are. This is how the greens are reacting. These are where these balls are going to run into good spots, bad spots, whatever it may be. So you have an idea of, of a game plan before you get there uh, on Thursday morning. And uh, the, traditionally, like Augusta National, you know what you're getting into. I mean, you know where the good spots are, where the bad spots are, or a place like Pebble Beach or Toy Pines or places we've played before. You kind of know how to get around the golf course. And practice rounds aren't as important. You're just trying to get used to the speed of the greens and, and just seeing how bad the rough is. Um, Cham- uh, Chambers Bay was completely different for us. We had to get up there early and do a lot of prep work and kind of you know, walk the golf course a ton, get used to different green pins, positions, and stuff like that. So it just produces a lot more work. Um, you, you've got to put a lot more time in on the golf course to see um, different pin positions, different tee positions, different um, lines off tees. So you just got to go up there and know. And, and the hardest thing uh, with most majors, and especially new venues for U.S. Opens, is not wearing yourself out by Thursday morning trying to be as prepared as possible. You know, there's, there's probably a group of guys that are saying, you know what, I'd rather be fresh on Thursday morning and not play as many practice rounds. And there's going to be guys like me that say, you know, I want to see this golf course four or five times so I know where I can and can't miss it on those holes and just try to be as smart as I can about making sure I'm rested as possible for Thursday morning. Given kind of the mixed player feedback and reaction to Chambers Bay and the conditions that you guys encountered at the course that week two years ago, do you feel like there's an elevated level of importance for the USGA to kind of get this set up correct and, and get this one right? No, I, mean, I think there's importance every year. You know, I don't think there's any more importance than this year. I think the biggest thing that, that they need to make sure it runs smoothly is everything else that goes around the championship. You know, when you pick a new a new venue, a new site you have been to in a long time, especially one like Chamber, or like this one, um, which is kind of out in the middle of nowhere, about an hour from Milwaukee, it's not really easy to get to and from. You know, the stuff that makes and breaks experiences for new venues is the, the fan experience. You know, do they have easy ways to get in and out of the golf course? Um, is it set up for everybody? Um, that kind of stuff. The little details like that that kind of make it make or break a venue. So, you know, and it's hard. It's almost impossible to foresee everything that's going to happen for uh, hosting a tournament like that. So, you know, it, it, you, you kind of have to take it as it comes. But, you know, you, you've got a venue there where you're going to have hopefully 50,000 people out there on the golf course. Is it set up for it? Can you manage the traffic getting in and out? Can the spectators have a great experience? Can the players have a great experience? get in and out and that kind of stuff. That, that, that's what kind of makes or breaks tournaments. Golf-wise, I'm sure the golf course will be in good shape. Um, I, I, you know, I can't think of, you know, as bad as people made Chambers Bay out to be, there's only a couple of greens there that, that, that were really uncalled for, that, that were not, I mean, uh, that were just not in great shape. The rest of it was pretty good. So um, I'm sure Aaron will be pretty good condition-wise. It's just a matter of everything else that goes with it. Give us an update on, on your season and where you stand now. I know you missed the Players' Championship with injury, but heading into a stretch where we've got a lot of important tournaments coming up in a short amount of time, how do you feel uh, health-wise and with your game? Yeah, you know, this has been kind of a, a disappointing year to me for so far this year because of um, how well I feel like I've been playing. Um, I, I've been hitting the ball better and better every week, it felt like. Uh, the hand thing came around. I had a hand problem happen literally the weekend before the Masters. 
a fluke kind of injury deal and uh, really kind of affected me at the Masters and Hilton Head and had to take a, t- take four weeks off where I really couldn't touch club. So kind of working my way back into form and, and the ball strike has come back to where it was beforehand. And, and uh, you know, I'm expecting big things second half of the year. I mean, I have no um, – not real – pleased with, with not winning a golf tournament yet this year and not being relevant you know not being relevant on a weekly basis so um i've been putting the time and effort in at home to make sure that the second half of the year is gonna be really really special for me um and and, and win some golf tournaments and get myself back up to where i feel like i belong last one before i let you go we'll, we'll end on a positive note here i know a couple weeks ago you had some time with the Ryder cup and you took it to a predators game you took it to vanderbilt you took it all over the place in Nashville, kind of just walk us through what was that experience like getting your time, I guess with its golf's version of the Stanley Cup there, getting getting your few days there with the trophy and, and hearkening back to those memories from Hazeltine last fall. Yeah, it was really special. You know, it's the first time that Ryder Cup's ever traveled. The first time, you know, the players ever got to have it for a week. So, um, you know, even though it was, you know, seven months ago, eight months ago, it was fun to bring it back in town and do some stuff with it and let people, you know, the thing that was really fun with it was seeing how everybody how excited everybody else got about it you know uh you know i probably took more pictures that week with people than i have my whole career and it wasn't because of me it was because of Ryder cup <laughs> and uh we had a blast with it between taking it to preds game we took it to preds game took it on the ice before game uh i think it was game three against st louis um we took it um to a luke bryan concert and and took it to vanderbilt stadium for a baseball game uh took it to tennessee junior golf um outing one day and let, let all these kids get to see it took it to a Vanderbilt golf day one day so did a bunch of fun stuff with it let a bunch of people see it um had a big party with with, with my family and friends one night so it was fun we had a great time with it um I kind of set a new bar up for the other guys to get people to see it and use it and, and have fun with it and I, I definitely returned it a little worse for the wear there were a few dings on it that wasn't there when I got, when I got it so uh, hopefully that they won't uh Think too poorly of me there, up, uh, down there at uh, PGA headquarters. But we had a blast. We really did for five straight days, and never thought I'd be wanting to give the cup back. Cup back, but by Sunday I was exhausted. I, I couldn't wait to turn that thing back over to the PGA of America and say, <laughs> "I'll see you hopefully next time after Paris." Any good story for uh, how those dings came about? Oh yeah, the the putter somehow got bent to a weird angle on top. Um, yeah, there's. I mean, uh, probably more beverages drank out of this week than there was the Ryder Cup. You know, between friends wanting to do it, um, you know, everybody wanted to see or take time. And the top is the top. What what happens is the top of it um, falls off quite a little bit, and uh, so to the course of the night, it's gonna fall off quite a few times. And unfortunately, by the end of the week, it, it had some pretty good dings in it. So I'm uh, still waiting for the bill to know how much I owe. <laughs> to fix all the dings in the Ryder Cup, but um, I think that was part of the gig. I think they, I think they knew that was coming when, when they left it here with me. There you go, a little behind-the-scenes information, always helpful. Brian Snedeker, thank <laughs> you very much for taking the time. We look forward to watching you or watching for you in the stands uh, Saturday night in Nashville taking on Pittsburgh. If you go ahead and throw a catfish, it's fine by me. Uh, if, if the Preds, if you'll, the Preds you'll, are you'll able to win. You'll pay the bail, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll come get you. But uh, game, right. game three, Saturday night. 8 o'clock on NBC Sports. Game 4 is Monday night. Brant, you'll be at, at both games. And let's, let's hope that uh, the Preds can come out and at least make it a, a good series from here on out. But thanks for, for taking the time with us. Uh, we will. Don't worry. Appreciate you having me on, man. There you go. All right. Well, that was Brant Snedeker. I'm your host, Will Gray. Thanks again for tuning in to this Golf Channel podcast. And we'll see you next time. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.